1: Hello and welcome back. I'm extremely excited for the special guest that we have today. I want you to stick around to the very end of this live stream. We are gonna teach you how to have success in the ministry. You do not wanna miss a single point that you're gonna learn today. My guest is evangelist, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. He's a man of God. He's been traveling for years now. He's a third generation evangelist in his family. He's got wisdom that you will need and require to make sure that you make it for the long run, you finish your race strong, like Paul said, and you have success in the ministry. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest, Evangelist Teddy. Thank you for joining me today, Evangelist What's Teddy.
0: What's up? Glad to be here with you, man.
1: I'm very happy for uh, the wisdom that you have when it comes to the ministry and the things that you've seen. And I want to cover, I mean, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, I mean, how to like blow a show far properly and we can, through, <laughs> we can go through the whole list. But, I don't know uh, if you
0: know this, but I am a pro at Prophetic Shofar.
1: I saw that on Instagram, and uh, if yeah. you guys aren't familiar, you can go follow uh, Teddy on Instagram, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> Brother Teddy, uh, just to get right into it, if you wouldn't mind, fill people in. I want people to know where you come from, your family lineage, and when mm-hmm. you heard the call of God into the ministry. Absolutely. My, my grandfather, who was uh, not,
0: you know, he, di- he didn't start out as like an on-fire Christian or even a Christian I mean he was uh, born and raised in West Virginia was running moonshine through the hills fighting coal mining family uh, and then uh, in his late teen years uh, got saved got filled with the Holy Ghost heard the voice of the Lord um, went to Bible school met my grandmother who was from northern Maine they got married graduated and then pastored for 62 years faithfully had four sons they're all in full-time ministry preaching the gospel They've been in ministry for over 40 years, all of them. And then all of their children are in full-time ministry. There's like, I think there's something like 18 shuttles worth preaching in full-time ministry right now. Um, and so um, the whole family really engaged in doing what God's called us to do. I felt the call of God um, to ministry at five years old. My father was holding a revival in northern Maine. And I was in a pew with my mom during the service. And it was kind of like just praise and worship time. And I just felt at five years old, I can actually still remember this. I was like five years old. And I felt this thing because the night before everybody had gone to the altar to pray like all together. And I felt again to go. So I looked up at my mom. I said, are we going to go to the altar to pray again? And she said, well, we're not doing that right now. But if you feel to go, then just go down. And so five years old, I got out of the pew and walked down to the altar and knelt down, just started praying. And there was an old Pentecostal pastor that was that he was the pastor of that church where my dad was holding the revival. And, uh, he knew what God was doing. And he came over and sat down on the platform and and called me over and sat me up on his knee. He said, many of you don't understand what's going on right now, but God's calling this young man into the ministry to preach the gospel and God's going to use him. And from that night, uh, I knew I was called to preach the gospel. I got filled with the Holy spirit with, I mean, literally speaking in tongues at the same age, five years old, we were staying in my grandparents' house in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, we had, I think we had just come back from one of my dad's meetings. And um, I went up to my bedroom that night and the power of God hit me even when I was by myself. I came downstairs the next morning, I was like, dad, I got filled with the Holy Ghost last night. And he was like, how do you know? And I said, cause I spoke in tongues. He's like, that's a good answer. And so uh, called into ministry at five years old, uh, filled with the Holy ghost at five. And I just knew throughout my life at that point, I was called to preach the gospel full time. And, um, I, I literally left high school at like, I think I graduated at, at 17, turned 18 in the summer, went straight to Bible school and, um, uh, no, no delay. And, uh, I could, I could talk about, um, you know, the importance of Hearing the voice of the Lord, I think one of the things, just not to, not to kind of launch right in on you, but okay. I, I really do think that for young people that are coming up that feel that God's called them to do something, one of the most important things I could ever drive home into your heart and into your spirit is that you've got to be led by the Spirit of God. You have to be led. You have to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and follow that voice. Mm. In fact, that's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is to lead us and guide us into all truth, John chapter 16. And um, I'll tell you how that played out in my life, Talon, is that I was planning to go to one Bible school. In fact, my cousin evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth was already at that Bible school. He's two years ahead of me. And so my whole family went to the same Bible school, from my grandfather and grandmother, all my uncles, my dad, my mom, everybody. My cousin uh, evangelist Jonathan, his sister, Pastor Jessica, they all went there. In fact, I was the first Shuttlesworth to not go to that Bible school, and I already had my application filled out and ready to go to that college. And um, I came. My dad came home from a revival, and I was ready to mail it in. And he said, "Have you prayed about that at all? Do you know that's where God wants you to go?" And I said, "Well, no. You know, I'm going to go where you went, and all of our family went. You know, my cousin Jonathan's waiting on me up there. You know, we're going to room together and everything. Which, looking back, probably." It was like a good decision not to. We probably both would have gotten kicked out of Bible school. But um, uh, I was like, yeah. And he was like, you should pray about it. So the next day I went to to, uh, to high school and I spent that whole day, you know, just kind of in between classes, walking the halls of my high school, just kind of praying in the spirit, like under my breath. And as soon as I started praying that day, I knew that I wasn't supposed to go to that Bible school, mm. but that I was supposed to go out to Tulsa, Oklahoma and attend Uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin's Bible School, Rhema Bible Training Center. And so I made the switch. I mean, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I immediately made the switch. I went home that day, tore up the other application, filled out one for Rhema and and sent it in. Uh, And that's what I would encourage young people. It's like, if the Lord's speaking to you to do something, don't delay, do it as quickly as possible. When you get an instruction, obey that instruction.
1: Uh, that's good. Yeah, I like that a lot. So, I mean, because you brought up Bible school, I, I want you to talk about uh, what it looks like to be trained for the ministry. I mean, the Bible says that you can't just like launch out; you must be trained. Yes. You got to have hands <laughs> laid on you, be ordained into the ministry to be a, a real minister. A lot of people, right. I mean, they just jump onto TikTok or whatever. And I mean, nothing against online ministry; like, I literally do online ministry, yeah. but just about anybody thinks they can run with a microphone. I think Pastor Rodney says uh, some were called, some were sent, some just grabbed a microphone and went. So can, right. you, can you talk about how crucial it is to be trained up, whether it's Bible school or, or getting an infield experience sitting under your father, uh, cover those categories.
0: I was blessed, you know, like I said, because, um, and, I, and I understand there's people from both sides. I was blessed um, to have a father that is an evangelist and to have a family full of ministers, um, you get to see a lot of things behind the scenes that way, obviously. Um, and so you learn things by impartation. You know, th- some people think impartation is just somebody lays hands on you and like, you know, imparts a mantle or imparts a, a spiritual. That's not the only thing that impartation does. Some forms of impartation is imparted wisdom, where like you can, I wrote a book called Further Faster. You can actually go further faster by receiving imparted wisdom from someone that's been there and done that, and you don't have to learn by trial and error, trial and error, fail, 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 and finally figure it out for yourself. They've already done it for decades. You can be humble enough, again, there's a massive point to be successful in ministry, humility and meekness. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But God, he gives more favor to the humble, James 4.6. And so humility is massive. If you want God to lift you up, you've got to humble yourself. So if you have humility, you can receive wisdom by impartation uh, through the teaching and preaching of the word or by somebody actually speaking to you. Maybe they'll give you correction. Maybe they'll give you constructive criticism. And um, I thank God for that because I I had that opportunity. But if you're going to prepare for the ministry, The Bible's very clear that you're to study to show yourself approved unto God. Mm. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that means that there are some workmen that need to be ashamed because they've not studied to show themselves approved. They can't properly divide God's word. And I see that, Taylan, you know as well as I do, there's many people on online uh, and they're doing online ministry But they don't understand how to properly divide the word of God or interpret the word of God. Mm. So you got like crazy, weird doctrines being thrown out in every direction. Uh, One that's very popular right now, there's so many of these online preachers talking about how Christians can be demon possessed and you got to cast demons out of Christians. That's not anywhere in the Bible, by the way. That's Mm. not anywhere in the New Testament. There's nowhere in the New Testament where an apostle or Jesus, Jesus wasn't dealing with any Christians, but... The apostles, the early church cast any demons out of Christian. That's the kind of stuff. And if you don't know the Bible, then you're out here preaching things where you've got young, immature Christians like, well, do I have a demon? Do I need a demon cast out of me? Because you didn't properly interpret the Bible. And so your quote-unquote leadership is actually bringing Christians into fear, doubt, unbelief. And then, you know, you, un- you understand worry and unbelief is a sin. Mm-hmm. So now you're causing his little ones to stumble, as the Bible says. And God hates that. So you've got to prepare yourself through proper study. That's why the Bible says that you're not to put up a novice. You don't put up a novice. Because understand the care of the sheep, the care of God's little ones, is the most vital thing to his heart. The Mm. most vital thing to his heart. That's why Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? He said, I do, Lord. He said, then feed my sheep. Mm. He said, do you love me? I do, Lord. He said, then shepherd, the actual Greek word there, then shepherd my sheep. He said, do you love me? He said, yes, I do. Third time, then feed my lambs. Mm. So feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. Jesus said, if you truly love me as a leader, that's what you'll do. You'll properly feed my sheep and shepherd my lambs. So it's a big mistake when people just think that, as you said, like Pastor Rodney says, you could just grab a microphone and go. Now, it's one thing to be a soul winner. Every Christian should be a soul winner. But it's another thing entirely to stand in a fivefold ministry position and to be a pastor or an apostle, prophet, evangelist, or a teacher. Very important to understand there's a difference between being a Christian that wins souls and standing in a, a fivefold ministry office, which God calls you to. So mm. you, you have, I tell every Christian, don't, and I know there's exceptions to every rule. But why would you just launch? You wouldn't do that if you were going to be a a doctor or a surgeon. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I just feel in my spirit. My calling is to be a doctor. I don't need to go to medical school. I just have an intuition about how to take care of people's bodies. I just have an intuition about how to do surgeries. I'm just going to launch into the industry because I really believe that I can start helping people now. I don't want to be delayed by medical school. I mean, people would think you were insane.
1: Yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. If I'm going to be a surgeon, I've got to do it now.
0: (laughs) I got to do it now. I mean, you know, I I, got to. I really feel called to be a mechanic. I know nothing about cars, but I just know that if I just start working on engines, that you know, God will use me to help. It's like people would think you're nuts. (laughs) We we really have the only profession where people think everyone thinks they can do it.
1: Right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, but the Bible says many are called. Only few are chosen. There's a choosing process. There's a sifting process. You know, you said something a minute ago about imparted wisdom, not just the laying on of hands, but being able to serve in a ministry. Jesus said, when you're faithful with another's, then you'll be given your own. And I think it's Psalm 141 verse 5 in the King James. I want to read this real quick. It says, I'll let a righteous man smite me or correct me. It shall be a kindness and I'll let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil to my head. So the Bible says that, I mean, being corrected, being under somebody that can mold you and frame you into a man or a woman of God is actually imparted oil to your head. It's actually the anointing being imparted onto you. So you sitting under your dad and getting infield experience, what were some things, like some key things that you said that was a point of correction, that was a point that I learned something in that moment sitting under my dad that launched me and propelled me in my own ministry down the road?
0: Well, before I even answer that, Uh, let's look at the end of that verse because the end is that I think is as important as the beginning Mm -hmm. where it says, let a righteous man strike me. It's a, it's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. But then look at the next part. Don't let my head refuse it. Mm, Right. That's what pride does. Pride Mm -hmm. makes your head refuse correction. It makes your head refuse correction. Um, and so I'll tell you what smart people do that like are successful they seek out correction. They seek out advice. You know, anybody that's, I I dealt with this last night because I was going, I went on a rant for like 45 minutes on the broadcast last night, (laughs) but like, it blows my mind that there's all these lone rangers in the ministry that like, no one can speak into their life. It's like, I'm, you know, I, they'll never go to another revival meeting unless they're the speaker. Like they don't go, they wouldn't go to Pastor Rodney's camp meetings. They wouldn't come to my dad's camp meetings. They wouldn't go to someone's revival services. And it's like, seriously, there's no one on the earth that can speak into your life. And you hear him say stuff like, well, you know, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I don't need a man. It's like, no, the Bible says you need a man. Yeah. The Bible says God gave gifts unto men in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Mm-hmm. And you're a saint and you need that perfecting. It's like, well, I only, I'm always wary of these preachers that only ever listen to people that are dead. Like, well, I listen to a lot of, I listen to a lot of John Osteen and Kenneth Hagin, and I can't get with any of these people that are alive. It's like, really? Thank God you do, but they're dead and gone. Mm-hmm. Who's a lot? You think, what, God's best days of his ministers are behind him? No. Right. God has men on the earth right now that are shaking the earth by the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's pride to say that no one can speak into your life. And that you can't submit to anyone can't receive correction from anyone i'm always wary of people that have nobody that can speak into their life no one that can correct them and so wise people seek out correction wise people are looking for value. Right. you know why because they recognize that cor- and, and if you want to put this in the comments those of you that are watching live put it in the comments correction is just direction mm. correction is just direction it's course correction I, I, always, I always laugh. You get mad if somebody gives you a word of correction and love. But think of how insane you'd look if you got ticked off at Google Maps on your phone when you were on a trip when they tried to give you the next turn. It's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, in 500 feet, turn right. Who do you think you're talking to? You don't know me. I'll turn right when I feel like turning right. I'm not taking exit 61. I'll take whatever exit I want. It's like, no, <laughs> you put in a destination that you want to get to as quickly as possible. And if you want to get there as quickly as possible, listen to the instructions that will get you there as quickly as possible. You can go anywhere you want, but it may take you three hours to get to a place that was only 15 minutes away. Yeah. So that's what correction is. It's just direction. That's all it is. So you should be happy to get it. You should, be, you should be seeking it out and asking people that have been where you want to go and done what you want to do. Do you see anything about my life or ministry that you think needs to change? Do you, think any, do you think I could be doing anything better? Do you think that I'm making any mistakes that are, that are unnecessary? Just let me know. You know, just let me know. Uh, you know, I just got a word, you know, from, from Dr. Rodney. And I talked, there's three men that I talk to consistently that, that speak into my life. My father is number one. My, my natural father is also my spiritual father. And I'll answer the question you ask in just a second regarding him. Uh, my pastor, Bishop Rick Thomas, and then Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. Three men, I don't care. I would listen to what they said and I would I would adhere to it. And I talked to Dr. Rodney last week when I was in California and we were just talking about even the church launch. And he gave me a word regarding the church launch uh, and said, You need to do this. And he gave me a word. This is what you need to do. I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say, like, well, let's talk about that, Dr. Rodney. I mean, you know, we need to just can we just break down the pros and cons? No, he's been there, done that, knows what he's talking about. I'm just going to do what he said to do. You know, I was going to do one thing. He said, don't do that. Do this thing. Okay, I'm going to do that. It, there's no discussion needed. Right. You know, I'm, I'm where I'm at now and I'm increasing, but he's far beyond where I'm at. He has far more years of wisdom, experience, anointing, fruit production. Same with my father. Same with my pastor. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, do you, really, uh, do you really think that we need to do it that way? Because I kind of felt my spirit. It's like, no, just receive the instruction and do it. Mm-hmm. Just do it, and um, if you don't have that, it, it, you're missing out on the way God set up leadership and in, impartation instruction. So I'm not debating; it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna obey the instruction. Um, but with my father, so so much of a blessing because my father was also always in teaching mode, which means we'd get he didn't just turn it off when he came off the platform uh, because he knew what I was called to do. So we'd get in the car after the service. And we'd be driving back to the hotel. And he'd say, now, did you see what I did tonight? Did you see when this happened and I responded this way? Did you see how I prayed for that man? Did you see how I I said that? This is why I did it. And Mm -hmm. there are many times. And at the time, you know, you're you're just young and you're thinking like, why is he rehashing the service? Or like, why are we going through? But he was teaching, Mm -hmm. see, so that as I'm coming up, I'm seeing all these things and knowing, oh, that's why he responded like that. That's why he preached like he did. That's where he felt the resistance in his spirit and went for the breakthrough on on the other side of that. You see what I mean? Wow. And so I I understood he was always in teaching mode showing me. uh, Did you see how I said this tonight? Let me tell you why. I felt a spirit of resistance. When I started preaching on healing, I felt people uh, resisting the, the message on healing. And I felt a heavy doubt and unbelief in the room. So I just started smacking it with the gift of faith until I felt that spirit leave and faith rise in their heart, and then I knew they were ready to receive healing when I laid hands on them at the end. So you hear those things growing up over and over. That's just the blessing of generational impartation. Mm. It's not fair, but it's God's system. You know what I mean? So I got those things, not because of anything I did, but think about this. The faithfulness of three generations. So just my father and my grandfather alone— that's over that's like 110 years of faithfulness to the Lord in those two ministries. Wow. wow. I get to benefit from that just because I'm part of that lineage. Mm. And it's it's not like not, not everyone doesn't get that and I understand. So I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful, but that's just the blessing of generational impartation. That's the blessing of you being faithful to God. So those that are watching and I I know the ages of a lot of people may be younger watching, but if you'll be faithful to God now, if Jesus tarries, your kids won't have to struggle through the things you struggled through. They Mm -hmm. won't have to deal with the things you dealt with and get victory over because your faithfulness will be passed down. And now they'll get to benefit from your years of faithfulness and start at a higher level than you started because of your faithfulness. So I really got to benefit from my father's, uh, active role in ministry and his wisdom and his insight. Um, but things that he always, I'll tell you two things that, that my father did and then told me that really helped me a lot. The first thing that I just noticed that he did, my dad over 40 some years of ministry has never gotten off into preaching fringe things <laughs> or like whatever the trend that blows through the body of Christ, you know, and he jumps off into the trend and starts teaching on you know, like whatever the demons over your city or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be like getting, getting all into, you know, just weird, different doctrines and, you know, changing every five years to whatever the trendy thing is. My father has preached the same thing for 46, 47 years. And people, he said, people say this to me thinking that they're giving me an insult and it's actually a compliment. He said, Mm -hmm. people will come up to me and say, brother, Ted, you're still preaching the same stuff you preached 30 years ago. I was like, thank you. Thank you very much. That's called consistency and faithfulness to the sound doctrine of the word of God. Yeah. So if you checked on my dad 30 years ago, he was still preaching faith, preaching healing, preaching deliverance, preaching salvation, preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the soon return of Jesus Christ. You check on him 47 years after his ministry's been going, he's still preaching faith, still preaching healing, baptism of the Holy Ghost, deliverance, salvation, soon coming of Jesus Christ. Hasn't changed. So I watched that. And and saw, stick with, and he would say this, this is his phrase. His phrase is, let the main thing be the main thing. Mm. Let the main thing be the main thing. Keep keep what God's word makes the main thing, the main thing in your ministry. Mm. If you are always getting off on fringe doctrines, that's going to, it fizzles out. And then what happens? If you based your whole ministry on some fringe doctrine that people were interested in for a short period of time... That's done. You might've got invited to all those conferences when that was the big thing, but then it's over and nobody cares about it anymore. And then where did your ministry go? Well, you based it on the wrong thing. Mm. And the second thing I'll tell you that, uh, not that I just observed, but he told me this plainly. He said, you know, and I started preaching. I graduated Bible school at the age of 19 years old. So I was very young. Um, And he said, you know, until you're like 30 years old, because I was preaching like at 19. He's like, until you're like 30, you basically only need to preach salvation, healing, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the return of Christ, hmm. the four main doctrines of the church. You, he's, you, you basically need to just preach and, and learn how to preach them proficiently. You know what I mean? You shouldn't have like one salvation message, one healing message. You know, look, dive into the doctrine of God's word yeah. and learn how to preach sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. learn how to rightly divide the word of God. One of the things that I see that people don't know how to do today is what first Peter three fifteen commands us to do make a defense mm-hmm. for anybody that asks you about the hope that lies with you, be able to make a fence, a defense about why you believe what you believe. You know, if you ask somebody that's a Pentecostal, so why, why do you believe in divine healing? Why do you believe that you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover? The answer should not be Well, I I mean, it's what our church believes, so that's that's what I believe. It's like, that's not a reason. What does the Bible say? Mm -hmm. Can you show me in Scripture Mm -hmm. why you believe that? Yeah. And and most people can't do that. So I understand now why he was saying what he was saying. You've got to be able to strongly present the case for salvation, for healing, deliverance, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the return of Christ, and do the work of the ministry.
1: Yeah. And I love, you, you said a moment ago, uh, the word from Pastor Rodney would start in your new church. I think about like, what if when Paul told Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're doing a great job as a, as a pastor, but do the work of an evangelist as well. I mean, what if Timothy right. would have okay. said, you know, I'm already a pastor. I don't know, Paul, and maybe doing the work of an evangelist. I'll leave that to the deacons or something like that. Exactly. Hey, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Timothy pastored the biggest church in the New Testament, the church of Ephesus. So if he wouldn't have done the work of an evangelist and taken that as a word from the Lord from Paul, I mean, he wouldn't. He probably would have been I don't know, kicking rocks. You know, he would have had a tiny deacon-possessed church, and that's about mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah. that's. I, I'm glad you hit on those, those four things because I was actually going to bring them up. I remember listening to Brother Jonathan a while back, and he had mentioned that your dad had said that to you when you were young, just those four pillars – of uh, mm-hmm. I think it's the four squares of mm-hmm. Christian doctrine. And the thing right. is a, a lot of people they might hear it and be like, well, I mean, that's only four things. How... But those are or or they'll say that's just doctrines.
0: so that they'll just say like that's just so that's so basic.
1: Right. You know what I mean like what if I want to preach
0: on like more in-depth things? What if I want to get into deeper revelations? It's like master those first
1: yeah, and those things, each one of them are inexhaustible. I mean, when you preach on salvation, right. you can preach on your identity in Christ, the death, oh, yeah. the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. I mean, you, those, that topic alone, you could preach oh, the yeah. rest of your life, like Pastor Mark Hankins, and not exhaust Absolutely. the first pillar. So well, think about, think about it.
0: Like, people say, if people would say, if they would say the response to that, which was my initial response because I didn't know what I was talking about, but you know, it's like, what if I want to preach like a deeper revelation? How deep do you think the revelation of salvation is? How deep do you think the revelation of divine healing or the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the return of Christ, how deep you think those are shallow revelations? Those are as deep as it gets. Mm -hmm. Those are as deep as it gets. You, as you said, you could preach. If you were a pastor of a church, you could preach 52 Sundays on the righteousness of, of God in Christ, uh, on salvation and the new creation realities and never exhaust, never begin to exhaust the topic.
1: Yeah, inexhaustible, hundred percent. So for you, I, I remember seeing a clip a couple of weeks back on Instagram where I think you were teaching pastors in, in a tiny pastors meeting or something, and uh, it was a clip of you talking about preaching past the anointing. Do you want to hit on that? Because I think, I mean, this is something I've experienced where you want you got this message, you know, you got a word from the Lord. You want to lay out the word, but you know the Holy Ghost is moving. But you got you got one more point. You know, what, what does it look like? What does it mean to preach past the anointing and why do you never want to do it in the ministry?
0: Yeah. So it was, it was interesting because, um, I was, that clip was me preaching to like intern Bible school students, mm-hmm. uh, at a, a local church. And I was just kind of, they were doing questions and answers. And, um, the, the question was basically, you know, like what, what things have you learned about preaching that, that, uh, maybe there are things you've changed about yourself. Well, I love preaching. I love to preach and teach God's word. I love it. I love studying. I love reading. And um, in the early days of my ministry, I'd have all these revivals that that, um, I I loved going in the preaching, but I'd leave frustrated like each night. And I'd be like, man, you know, I was believing for like breakthrough, like Holy Ghost moving services. And we'd have good services, but like you know, when you've experienced the highest levels, you know, when you've been in revivals that are like breakout revivals that have gone weeks and weeks and you've seen the move of the spirit, you know, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, great. I'm sure the local churches were like, man, we had a powerful service last night with brother Ted. But for me, I've seen like true city shaking, powerful services. And that was my goal. That's what I was going for. And I'd leave, you know, like frustrated. Like, man, I missed that move of the spirit. What's the story? And my wife would so uh, kindly say in the car, she'd say, well, did you have to preach your whole message? You know, she could understand that I was like, just, I'd I'd preach and there'd be multiple points. Like, it it may be hard to understand this if you're not a preacher, but there are places that as you preach, you're building to something. There's a release of faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So if you're taking notes, please remember this. The preaching of the service is not the end. It's just a means to an end. Mm -hmm. It's never the end. It's a means to an end. It's about what God wants to do in the people, right? So uh, salvation would be an end, but I got to preach in order for salvation to come to pass, right? Mm -hmm. How can they be saved unless they hear Romans 10? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. So Mm -hmm. preaching is a means to that end that people would be saved. Or another end that you're shooting for. People would be healed. Mm -hmm. Or that people would be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Or they'd be delivered of addictions. You know, that they would be delivered from depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. Whatever. Those things are the end. But the beginning or the the means to the end is the preaching. Well, I was so getting caught up in the preaching that I was missing the end that God wanted to perform. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a form of pride, by the way. I was operating in a form of pride thinking that my preaching was more important than what God wanted to do by the Holy Spirit in the people. Wow. Yeah. And so what what I what I uh would get frustrated, my wife would be like, well, did you have to preach your whole message? Because what would happen, and a lot of times, you know, you see people, they'll respond, they feel it in their spirit, they'll respond physically. You know what I mean? You know if if that faith hits the place, and I'm not talking about emotionalism, because I don't even preach self-help messages. It's not like that. I'm preaching the the word of God, but you can feel faith rise in that church service to the point where people feel it so much. I mean, I've preached many times. We have the entire crowd will stand on their feet and shout and start jumping and dancing. Well, it's not an emotional response. I'm preaching the word of God, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I feel the faith so much that I I can't hardly contain myself. Well, it's in those breakthrough moments. And, And obviously we don't go by how we feel. We don't go by what we see. But you know, faith is rising. Paul, when he was preaching, the Bible says he preached until there was a man in the crowd that needed healing. The Bible says, and Paul perceiving now that he had faith to be healed. Well, how did that happen? Because Paul was preaching. Paul didn't start by healing the man. He preached until the man had faith to be healed. Then he healed him. Hmm. So there's a point you're trying to get to. You're building people's faith to receive what God has for them. But I would preach to that point and then multiple times, you know, you'd hit those breakthroughs in the service. And I'd say, sit down, sit down. You got to hear this. I got got something else you got to hear that. You wait till you hear. And it's like, you know, it's pride. Mm. I was operating in pride to say, no, no, you there's, and God's like, no, I'm ready to move on them right now. Wow. Call, call for, call for salvation now. Call for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost now. Lay your hands on people now. And so I realized it uh, and I, I changed everything. Because, man, I would have these, Talon, I would have these messages prepared, and, man, I thought they were masterful. And It would be yeah. like, because I, I love to study, I love to read, I love to do all that, and it would be like, well, I'll tell you, the broadcast has been a great outlet for me, because now I can do all those types of things on the broadcast, mm. and then my preaching can be what, what God wants it to be. But I can get on, like I am for these last two days on the broadcast, and teach on 10 enemies of financial increase, mm-hmm. you know? But if I go to try to preach that in a revival service, like, you know, you're going to keep, no, you got to hear all 10 of these. God, God's going to, and, and that's fine if you're, if you're in a teaching moment or a teaching conference. But if you're trying to have a revival service where people are getting changed by the power of God, you have to preach like a revivalist would preach. You're there to build faith, brag on Jesus, talk about his power, talk about his glory. And then, so what I started doing, and those that are going to study for ministry, please hear what I'm saying And understand the context in which I'm saying it. I already told you twice that I love to study and I love to read, and I'm always doing those two things. But when I tell you that I don't prepare messages anymore when I preach, I don't. I don't write out messages. I don't prepare sermons. And this this sounds uh, like a cliche thing to say, but I promise you it's not cliche. I no longer prepare messages. I just prepare the messenger. And what I mean by that is, I don't. I, it's not that I stopped studying and I stopped reading and then I stopped pressing in. It's just that I no longer prepare set messages for my services mm. because what I would rather do is fill myself with word content, so that when I get up into the pulpit and I I sense what's happening in the room or I can sense the people that are there that night and the Holy Ghost says to me, "No, tonight you need to preach on this." I'm like, "Oh well, I need to. What messages do I have on that? Let me pull out my phone and go through." No, I've got it in me. And so if the Lord takes me in this direction, fine. I've got ton of content in my spirit about that subject if I'm going in that direction. If he takes me left, i got tons of content on that that I've already put in my spirit so that no matter where the Lord leads me, I can preach on that. I can talk about that. Like if you got on with me today and said, listen, we're going to exhort these people on the importance of fasting and prayer. I could go for hours on that. Or if they said, we're going to talk, you said, we want to talk to them about divine healing, how to release healing, how to receive healing. I could go on for hours about that. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to say, well, let me get, I got some notes here somewhere in my phone on healing. Let me just browse to those. No, it's in your spirit. And so in revival settings, I have to be ready at any moment. The Bible says be instant in season and out of season, mm-hmm. right? I have to be there. And so that, that's what I would tell you is like, I was, going, I was preaching past, and I hope I sufficiently explained what that meant, that I'm going beyond, where the Spirit wants to move, preach until he's moving, and then let him move. Let him do what he wants to do.
1: Yeah, that's good. I, what you just said, I remember I saw on Instagram the other day, it was this old T.L. Osborne quote. And T.L. Osborne said, if you cannot demonstrate it, you are not fit to preach it. And I mm-hmm. thought that was good because there's, I mean, a good litmus test is like, all right, you know, these four basic doctrines, uh, Jesus, the savior, the healer, the baptizer and the Holy ghost, the soon coming King. Can you sufficiently out of your spirit? No notes. If someone gave you a microphone, the Lord said, Hey, you're supposed to preach a revival right now. Do you have an hour? you got two hours of content in your spirit right. to preach it and then demonstrate it. Like, or do you have that? I, I think that's a good litmus test. Oh, for yeah. me. I ran myself through that like two years ago. I was like, ah, because when you're young, I mean, you just want to go win the world for Christ, which that's not wrong. But uh, there was a humbling moment. like It was like I had to have a come to Jesus moment where I was like, all right, do I even have what it takes in my spirit to do what it is that I'm seeing be done? You know, I had right. to have a reality check. So I, I like that you said that, you know, if, if just like Brother Osborne said, he said, if you can't demonstrate it, you're not fit yet to preach it. So make sure you're fit to <laughs> right. preach it in order, in order to demonstrate it. And I remember- Brother Jonathan said, it was a quote from your dad as well, where he said, there's always a bullseye in a meeting, and you got to be led by the Holy Ghost when you're preaching. Find the yep. bullseye. So when people have their notes, I've noticed that that was one thing that helped me a lot, that piece of advice. If you go into every single revival with these notes, you're never going to hit the bullseye. You're not even given an, an opportunity for God to show you the bullseye to get what right. needs to be done, done in the service. Well, it's because it's your plan, not God's plan. mm
0: mm-hmm. And I always revert back to Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord said, um, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I don't, want, I don't want to exhibit my ways and my thoughts to the people. I want to have access to God's ways and his thoughts. Only way to do that is to be led by the Spirit. Because the other thing is, I don't know, unless the Lord shows me, I don't know what all those people that are in the crowd need. I don't know what they're dealing with. I don't know what they're facing. That's going to take the gifts of the spirit. God's going to have to reveal it by his power. I'll give you an example of this. I was preaching in Orlando one time, an example of God knows who's sitting in the crowd. He knows what needs to be said. I was preaching in Orlando and all of a sudden I got off on preaching something I'd never mentioned in a service. And I was talking about from the book of Numbers, you can't curse what God's blessed. You know, if God's blessed it, you no man, no devil, no demon can curse what God's already blessed. And then all of a sudden, and I've never even mentioned this word in a service, but I started getting off into, um, you know, even uh, Santeria. I said, even that witchcraft of Santeria. I said, I don't care if people are practicing Santeria, trying to put curses on you. I don't it doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can't curse what God's blessed. Every curse returns to sender in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, two a couple stood up and stormed out of the church as I was preaching on that. And I didn't know if they had to go to work or if they were angry or what was up. But I talked to the pastor afterwards. I said, I saw that couple from your church just storm out while I was preaching. Do they have to go to work or were they like mad that I was preaching on that? He said, oh no, they don't go to my church. He said, when I opened this church here in Orlando, they came in and it's like, what are you doing here, you know, whatever. And uh, I said, yeah, we're launching a church. And they said, well, we, we practice Santeria and this is our territory. And you'll never, your ministry will never work out here. We'll run you out like we've run everybody else out. We'll put curses on you. I didn't know any of that. He said every now and then they show back up to try to like intimidate us or let us know they're cursing us or whatever. And here they are sitting in the Sunday morning service. And uh, I start just launching in to Santeria and how Santeria can't stop the people of God. And there's no power that can curse us. We're blessed. Every curse returns to sender and destroys. You know, it's like, I don't know that stuff. And like, who's going to put that together? Like in in my fourth point, I need to be talking about Santeria. It's like, that's never going to come out of you unless the Holy Ghost puts it in you to speak. And so that's the power of being led by the spirit. The Lord was using his word to rebuke that wickedness that was sitting in those seats and send it out of the building. I'll tell you how powerful it was. The next day, me and the pastor and the staff went to uh, Texas Day Brazil to have lunch. And one of the guys that goes to his church called him and said, I got another testimony, pastor. He said, I work, and the pastor told me this. I didn't know the pastor knew his job. He said, I work in a warehouse. And he said, "Um, when I took this job, the the warehouse manager told me I could not witness to any of my coworkers. I couldn't tell them about Jesus or even invite them to church. He said, but my manager practices Santeria, and he's always talking to the people about that and inviting them to his house to have meetings and stuff. And he said today, after yesterday's Sunday service, the the corporate manager came in and saw how he was treating everybody and fired him on the spot. And then said, who has the most seniority in the warehouse? And it was me and gave me his job. So like (laughs) the carryover from the service the day before where Santeria cannot curse God's people. It even caused the guy that practices Santeria in the warehouse to be removed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you don't know that stuff unless the Holy spirit's leading you. So, you know, it's, it's my own pride to say, well, I'm going to come up with what I want to come up with. I would rather people laugh at me. Cause I'll come up I had a guy ask me last week. He was like, so how long before your service are you preparing your messages and stuff? I'm like, like three minutes before I get the microphone, like I'm on <laughs> yeah. the, I'm on the front row praying in the Holy ghost mm-hmm. and asking God to give me direction for the service. And I pray before the service too, but I'm, I mean, I'll walk into the services many times. I mean, like 98% of the time I walk to the front row with zero idea what I'm going to preach that night. I know that freaks people out because the number one fear people have is public speaking. So mm. pe- people are like all, all like ready to go with 90 million notes, but you can't be that way when you're a spirit led preacher. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, if somebody handed Jerry Seinfeld or, You know, if if somebody handed Dave Chappelle a microphone and said, hey, you got to do stand-up in 10 minutes, they're not going to be like, well, I I need to prepare. I haven't prepared anything. You know, I I need to go back through my material. No, it's like you could hand those guys. In fact, I was laughing about this. I don't know if you heard this, Talon. But after Dave Chappelle disappeared and came back on the scene in the United States, I heard Kevin Hart tell this story. Kevin Hart was saying, I was doing my tour around America and he said, I was in a city and someone called me and was like, dude, Dave Chappelle is down in a local park here in the city doing stand up like in the park. And he went down to see him and it was like Dave Chappelle had rented an RV and was just driving across America with like a handheld uh, uh, sound system, <laughs> like a speaker sound system. And he would just stop in like towns and find a park and set up his sound system like an evangelist. And he'd just stand out in the park with a microphone. And he would just start launching into stand-up until a crowd would form and like a crowd of people would form. And then he'd do his bit and then get back on his RV and go to the next city. And, uh, he said, I went down and saw him and said, um, man, I didn't know you were in town. I'm doing, I'm doing the Coliseum here tonight. You should come and, and you can, you can get on, you know, before me and do whatever. He said, it was the worst mistake I ever made. He said, Dave Chappelle came that night to the Coliseum Went on before me and just killed. And I had to follow the greatest stand-up comic ever. And, and that's the case. He didn't have to be, like, well, I've not prepared anything. You know, I need a, I need like a week to prepare material and I need to study. Like you can't be that guy mm-hmm. if you're spirit filled. You gotta be someone should be able to say, Hey, I need you to go into this room and talk to this group of, of students about the Holy Spirit. You should be able to walk in and have something powerful in your spirit and say, Let me just give you a verse and then just exhort you on this about the Holy Ghost. And and it's funny that I see that stand-up comedians can be instant in season and out of season, but that there's preachers that can't be instant in season and out of season. Right. And I'm telling you guys, for the young preachers listening to me, fill yourself with so much content that you can, when somebody says, hey, we need you to just speak, we need you to come to the school, we need you to come to this nursing home, we need you to come to this church and just speak. You should be able to launch in with the anointing and have content to speak from the word of God. That's right.
1: Yeah, I think uh, another quote might have been from your uncle or maybe your grandfather. Preston was telling me this a a couple years back. He said uh, to prepare like there is no Holy Ghost or prepare Mm -hmm. like your notes is all you got. But then preach like all you've got is the Holy Ghost. So it's almost like that's actually
0: a very old quote. They actually told us that in Bible school, too, when I was at Rhema. And mm -hmm. they would say preach. They'd say prepare like there's no Holy Ghost. Preach like there's nothing but Holy
1: Ghost. That's good. I mean, what it means—your spirit's already prepared. Your spirit—it's in there. The content's in there, but then you're—you're yep. you're reliant on on being moved by the Holy Ghost. So that's—I mean—that what the things you've shared so far. I mean, it's <laughs> crucial, hundred percent. I think people—if you're getting something, I want you to put a hand clap emoji in the comments today for people that are watching because this is gold. This is stuff that'll that'll make you move you from a lightweight preacher to a heavyweight preacher. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. all this stuff. I want to cover a. Uh, Two last things real quick, not that we're under like a time restraint, but uh firstly, because you brought it up earlier and we're, we're doing it right now, fasting and prayer. How crucial is fasting and prayer and consecration in that manner to, to being successful in the ministry and finishing the race strong?
0: Well, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not saying this to plug myself. I'm just saying like I did all the study on this to put it together for the body of Christ. That's why I released the book called, A Complete Guide to Biblical Fasting, but I have to say a couple of things. Number one, if you're asking how important is fasting and prayer to consecration and becoming what God's called you to be, consider this. After Jesus turned 30, was getting ready to begin his ministry, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John, and at that moment he was filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. The very first thing the Holy Ghost led Jesus to do was to go into the wilderness and fast and pray. Think how powerful that is. Didn't lead Jesus to heal the sick or preach the gospel or cast out devils or multiply loaves and fish or walk on the water. The first thing Jesus was led to do by the Spirit of God was to go into the wilderness and fast and pray. That's it. Now think about this. The disciples hung around Jesus more than anyone else. They got to be around him nonstop. The only thing they ever asked him to teach them, if you read the scripture, Lord, teach us how to pray. Mm. That's what they asked him. You know what? You know why they asked him that? Because they, they could clearly see everything Jesus does stems out of his life of prayer. Wow. And if we're going to do what he does, we need to know, I want to know how to pray. You think they just didn't know how to say a prayer? It's not that the disciples didn't know how to say a prayer. Jews had been praying for years, thousands of years. It's not that they didn't know how to say a prayer. What they were really saying was, "Lord, teach us how to pray the way you pray, because the way you pray produces results like we've never seen." Right. So teach us to pray. So uh, Paul, the apostles, they wouldn't even launch out into ministry until they fasted and prayed. The Book of Acts. We were ministering to the Lord and fasting in fasting and prayer. And he said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. So there wasn't even, they didn't even launch out into ministry. They didn't even launch churches. I deal with all this in the book. They didn't even launch churches without fasting and prayer. Mm -hmm. So when you ask how vital is fasting and prayer, the the disciples of John came to Jesus. They said, "Uh, Lord, how come your disciples don't fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And he said, you don't fast when the bridegroom is with you. But there's a day that I'll be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Mm -hmm. talking about all of his disciples, not just the 12, all of them. And you know how we know that's true? If you go back through and read the extra biblical writings of the apostles through the first century church called the Didache, we still have those documents, it shows us that they fasted two days every single week, a practice that continued on for hundreds of years after Uh Christ. Two days every week, the church would fast and pray. They took seriously what Jesus said. When I leave them, then they will fast and they will pray. And of course, you understand fasting is not a suggestion. It's an expectation. So people say, uh, how long should somebody fast? Well, this might surprise you, but there's no command anywhere in the Bible about how long a believer is required to fast. There are multiple lengths of fasts in the Bible, but the one length that you cannot choose is zero days. Right. That's the one length you cannot choose of fasting, zero days. You're supposed to, you're required to do something. If you're going to meet the expectations of Jesus, you have to do something at some point. And uh, so we do it. I don't just do 21 days of fasting at the beginning of the year. When I was with my uncle on staff, we would do three days every month. Which if you consider that, that's 36 days at the end of the year, that's a tithe of your year in fasting and prayer. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So you got to do something. And and whether you're watching, maybe you're joining us and doing six to six, maybe you do three days of fasting, seven days of fasting. You do it by faith Mm -hmm. and you do it through obedience to the word. And let me tell you, God will bless you for it because the greatest enemy to you fulfilling your call is not the devil. I'm going to say this again. The greatest enemy to you fulfilling God's plan for your life is not the devil or demons. It is your own flesh. Mm. It is your own flesh. And if you need scripture to back that up, Galatians 5.17, the Bible says, the flesh is constantly at war with the spirit, constantly. Not letting you do what you want to do. So Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I put my body under on a daily basis. So, making it do what it should, so that after having preached to others, I'll not become disqualified. Hmm. So, your flesh is the greatest enemy to you accomplishing what God's called you to do. Fasting and prayer subdue your flesh greater than any other thing can. Hmm. Anything. That's why when we talk about fasting, we talk about biblical fasting, which is not eating food. We're not talking about fasting video games, fasting coffee, fasting sugar. Fasting TV or Netflix—that's not fasting. Fasting, according to the Bible, is not eating food, and there's nothing that subdues your flesh more quickly than taking calories away from it.
1: That's good. So you're saying my 21-day social media fast isn't going to get the results. That's I've not been- a fast. Okay. You know,
0: if I always laugh, me and my cousins say this often. If fasting social media was a real fast, everyone in the Bible did that their whole life.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. It was
0: a lifelong fast.
1: They walked in the glory of God. Praise you the know, Lord.
0: You know, Peter never used Facebook.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's funny. I want people to type in the comments right now fasting produces power. It really does. In Luke 4.14, it says, And Jesus returned from the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost and power. He wasn't filled Mm -hmm. with power before he had the Holy Ghost, but there was no unlocking of the power before he came back. That's an important distinction, by the way.
0: That's an important Mm -hmm. distinction, what you just said. There was no unlocking of power. Because Mm -hmm. if you've got the Holy Ghost, he is the anointing. Mm -hmm. He is the power of God. But you know why many people can't release the anointing? It's because their flesh is a barrier. I deal with this in the book. It's Mm -hmm. like having a dam with a huge body of water behind the dam. It's not that there's a lot. It's not that there's not a lot of uh, substance behind the dam. It's just that that wall holds it back from rushing downstream and washing out villages and towns below it. Mm -hmm. If you took one brick out of the dam, you'd see a little stream of water shooting out of that hole. And you might look at that and say, well, there's not much power behind that dam. Look at that tiny stream of water. But you'd be wrong what you'd see is actually, there's a very strong obstacle holding back the power. But then if you took a few sticks of dynamite or some C4 and that's put right. it on the dam and blew it open, you'd see the true power of what was behind the dam. And so that's, the, that's every believer. The Holy Ghost is in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. But many Christians cannot release that power because their flesh stands in the way of either hearing God's instruction Or or stepping out and becoming a spiritual believer. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. I have to not only be filled with the Holy Ghost, i got to subdue this flesh just like any other individual on the
1: earth. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I think it's uh, Hebrews 10, 13 maybe, where it likens Jesus' flesh to a veil. It says, The veil of his flesh was torn. So when that's you right. fast and when you pray, you, you rip open that veil of the flesh, just like Evangelist Eddie said. And I highly recommend his books. We'll put the we we'll put the link in the comments again right now, but we already put the link in the comments to his books on Amazon. You can get them. I got both of them. I believe you've got one that teaches on biblical fasting and then a study guide, right?
0: Yeah. So um, this this is the one that's the, this is the complete guide to biblical fasting, which it's on Amazon. It's on Kindle. It's on Apple books too. And then we released this one last year, which is the 21 Day Fast Field Guide. It's a 21 Day Devotional as we're fasting and praying. It's got teaching every day, Bible reading plan every day, and prayer points every day to get you kick started with fasting and prayer.
1: Yeah, fasting and prayer. Again, read it, study it. It was. I mean, I would pray for the sick, and I'd see people with like the sniffles or a headache. They'd get healed. Maybe they had like a little bit of knee pain. But I, when I pressed into fasting and prayer would have been a little over two years ago, I went on like a nine month stint where I fasted more than I ate. I was just, I was a fasting addict. I was hungry for the power of God. I wanted to see signs, wonders, miracles. I needed the power and demonstration in my meetings. I couldn't just be another Ted talk evangelist. You know, I wanted, I wanted the power. When I pressed into fasting and prayer was when miracles started to happen in the meetings. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're young, you're going into the ministry Speaking from experience, I mean, Evangelist Teddy, many years of experience. I've experienced in my own life as well. If you want the power, the power is unlocked by your fasting and your prayer. And, and I want to yeah. finish up with this, and then uh, you can bless everybody. You can pray for people. But the last thing I want to cover when it comes to success in the ministry, I think this is arguably one of the most crucial ones, is prosperity. Believing in prosperity, not just being another, uh, <laughs> another beggar or another fundraiser, not just being another somebody that relies on men to fund their ministry, but somebody that puts a dependency on God, the law of sowing and reaping, tithing, offerings over and above giving. Tell us yeah. how important, how crucial is prosperity to having a successful ministry and finishing the race?
0: It's extremely, it's extremely important. If you don't operate in the law of seed time and harvest, if you don't operate in God's system of seed time and harvest, then you will always have to depend on men to support your vision, always. You'll always have to be networking. You'll always have to be asking for handouts. You'll be looking always for grants. And I mean, you'll just always have to do a capital campaign. It'll always have to be natural. And then you start looking to men. But I wanna read you a vital verse when it comes to this. Jeremiah 17, five, Jeremiah 17, five. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man Mm. and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So when you put your trust in men rather than in God, it brings a curse upon your life and ministry. It's a slap in the face to God to think you need the assistance of men rather than God. When he said, I'll be your provider, think about how powerful this is. He first created the system of seed, time, and harvest. It's God's system. And then he said, I'll make sure it's a never-ending system. Genesis 8, 22, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed, time, and harvest. Yep. And then he had, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had the apostles call your financial giving seed. Galatians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians 9, Paul calls your financial giving seed and tells you to expect a harvest. And if you don't engage in seed time and harvest, then you'll always be at the place where you're at the mercy of what men can provide for you rather than what God can provide. And and don't get me wrong. God will still use men to bless you. The Bible says uh, they will come and they will give into your bosom. No question, men and women, it's not gonna be like counterfeit bills dropping from heaven. God will still use people to bless you, but you won't have to chase it. It'll chase you. That's good. Otherwise, you'll always be in a fundraising campaign. You'll always be in a capital campaign. You'll always be looking for handouts and whatever the cheapest thing you can get. But when you let God do it and you initiate his system by faith, then you depend on him only. I tell people this because I, I learned this from Bishop Oyedepo and initially it sounds initially it, it sounds arrogant, but it's not arrogant. It's a trust in God. Bishop, Bishop Oyedepo said this once and he has a church of 500,000 people. He said if every one of you stopped giving to the church today, not one thing we do would change. Not wow. one thing we do in our ministry would ever go down. He said because you're not our source, God's our source. This is his vision. This is his ministry. So if every one of you stopped your giving and financial uh, support to this ministry, God would find another way to bring it into this ministry to continue what we're doing. So that's the mindset of I don't depend on men, I depend on God. I mean, I don't care if, if, if every person says well, I'm not going I'm not giving any more to, to that ministry. I don't care how God did it. He could have, I mean, I was in a service one time. I was joking about this and people say, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take any kind of money into your ministry. I mean, you wouldn't take drug money. I was like, bro, I don't know where the money comes from, but I'll tell you what, if a drug dealer comes in here and decides to give in the offering, I said, it might've been drug money when he had it. But the moment I take control of that money, I'll blow the cocaine off the top of it and put it in my pocket and preach the gospel with it. That's it right. becomes Holy Ghost money. Amen. It's Holy Ghost money. And the <laughs> funny thing is the night I said that in the service, the pastor came to me afterwards like, there's a dude in the crowd I know from high school. I know for a fact he's a drug dealer. And when you took the offering, he took an envelope and gave.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, see? That's, <laughs> that's a biblical <laughs>
0: principle. The wealth of the wicked laid up for the just.
1: Yeah. And that's an example right there, being led by the Holy Ghost. Clearly, there was someone in the crowd. They needed to hear about drug money. And, and it I, like, I like
0: what there. Pastor Mark Hankins says. If you'll get addicted to giving, God will support your habit.
1: That's right. God an addicted will support giving. your
0: habit. Yeah, yeah
1: Pastor Hankins, he says, uh, over and above giving produces over and above living. That's A lot right. of ministers, they live from financial miracle to financial miracle because yep. they might even tithe. They might even give offerings, but they never give into over and above offerings like David and his mighty men did. They were already tithers; right. they were already giving offerings. But over and above living is produced and chases you, like you said, when you are an over and above giver. Somebody type in the comments: I am an over and above giver.
0: It's like, it's like when we when we branched out and we got these this studio and the uh you know the now we have the other studio and we're getting ready to launch church. It's like we thought, well, hey, we're going to have to really step out in faith. It's going to be a stretch for us to like have these studios and get these properties and all this stuff. As soon as we get it, we hadn't even announced it to anyone, and one person felt to sit down and write a check. The check came in the mail, paid the whole studio cost for the year, happened again the next year. So you just step out by faith knowing, God. I didn't have to get on the broadcast, but Like now we've, we've got a new studio. We really need you to press in so or else we won't be able to stay in this space. Like No one even knew we had it, but God told us to get it, and when we did... It's just provided for because it's part of the Lord's plan for your ministry, but you have to engage. Let me say this because, uh, there's a lot of preachers, you know, that have the mindset, everybody should, you know, I'm a preacher. So everybody should be giving to me instead of, and they're not givers themselves. You better be a giver and you better be a large giver. You better be a large giver. I can tell you this. When I launched my church, the people that attend my church are gonna have to work very hard if they want to give more than I give. Hmm. They're gonna have to be, they're gonna have to be really diligent. When I travel, I mean, let me tell you, people will have to work very hard to be a large. I will be the large and not just because I'm doing a church launch, I will be the largest giver in my church. Amen. I don't care what businessmen come, I don't care, I will be the largest giver. And I mean, God's gonna bring large givers, but I've already told you my confession. I'm gonna sow a million dollar seed into the kingdom. I'm going to be a large, people will have to work hard to outgive me very hard because I don't tip God. You know how we do. We're not, I'm not tipping God. I'm not giving my leftovers. I'm giving seeds of honor and seeds of faith and seeds of breakthrough. That's right. And so ministers, if you're going into the ministry, hear what I'm saying. Don't be one of these people that's like, you know, I'm the one that has the ministry. People should be given to me. You better be a large, lavish, addicted giver. If you want to see God's hand of provision on your ministry. Yeah. Cuz remember this, I'll I'll finish with this and let you take it. I had to correct somebody very softly on the broadcast last night by their confession. Financial increase does not come because you pray for it. And it doesn't come because you fast for it. And it does it doesn't come because you uh, attend church or because, you know, pray in tongues. None of that none of that brings financial harvest. The only thing that brings a financial harvest is seed that's sown. That's it. Mm-hmm. If you don't have seed in the ground, you've got no harvest coming back. So you can do all the other things you want to do. Read your Bible, you know, pray, praise, worship, you know, but it's not going to bring a financial harvest because the Bible says whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Mm. So if I want a financial harvest, I got to release financial seed. And so there's a lot of people praying, God bless my finances, bless. He he can't answer that prayer because that's not the way his covenant works. I stopped praying that decades ago. You know what I pray now? Lord, your word declares that you give seed to the sower. So put the largest seeds in my hand this year that I've ever sown in Jesus' name and let me have uh, the ability to release the biggest uh, offerings that I've ever released this year. And then my two goals, Lord, we'll give more cumulatively in one year than we ever have every year and -hmm. we'll release the largest one-time offerings than we have ever in every year moving forward. And he's always honored that,
1: always. Amen. The kingdom of God is built on increase. God honors increase. Well, praise the Lord. This has been this has been awesome. This has been a wealth of knowledge. I've been blessed. I'm glad I joined the live stream today. And uh real quickly before we go, I'd like to have you have, have you pray for people going into the ministry and bless them as they go in. But I want people to know, obviously this is not an exhaustible list. I mean, there's so many things that you got to have right. You got to know the word. You got to live holy. There's so many things that we didn't cover that uh, I'm sure you can find on Brother Teddy's channel. So make sure you go subscribe to him on YouTube. And really quickly, before you pray for people, Brother Teddy, can you fill people in about your new church launch? Because I know we're going to have people from Florida that are watching this. And uh, if they're in your area, I want them to go to your church. So can you fill people in, please?
0: Absolutely. The Lord spoke to us to launch Miracle Word Church in West Palm Beach uh, area of Florida. And uh, that's coming very soon. Um, we're going to make announcements and, and tell people when it's happening, but um we're in the process right now of, of getting everything together uh getting everything ready to go and this is the year we're launching Miracle Word Church and so uh it's going to be right in the heart of West Palm Beach and uh God's it's amazing cuz God's already bringing people there people are moving in from different parts of the country and um we're excited about that people are are, um excited to make an impact for church. We need churches right now that will not bow their knee to the spirit of the world. They'll not be soft. They'll not close their doors. They'll believe for miracles and revival. That's going to be what Miracle Word Church is. Um, And so we're launching and um, God's raising up an army of believers in South Florida. And so you can always follow us at miracleword.com, miracleword.com. All the information is there. All of the announcements will be there. And of course, if you subscribe on YouTube, uh, we go live every day, twice a day, uh, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern and 9.00 p.m. Eastern. Um, And so we're making announcements on there constantly as well. And so you can stay connected with us. But we are very, very pumped up for what God's about to do in South Florida. Uh, Can't wait. But let me pray for those that are listening. I know there's people that the Lord's leading you into full-time ministry. The Lord's leading you to preach the gospel and do the work that he's called you to do. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we're so thankful that you use your children to do your will we thank you for the privilege and the honor of being your servants to be your children to do the work of the ministry so now lord i pray that everyone that you're speaking to them to step out by faith into full-time ministry lord i pray that as they train for the ministry that you'd give them the mind of Christ, that they'll retain that knowledge like they never have retained anything, that you'd give them wisdom and insight and revelation. I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be an op- would be opened. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you in Jesus' name. We thank you for that. I pray that you would give them a boldness to speak the word of God. I pray that you would give them an urgency in their spirit, knowing that Jesus is coming soon. I pray, Lord, that you'd put a fire in their belly for a move of the Spirit, I pray that you'd give them a hatred for what's wicked and a love for what is righteous. And finally, Lord, I pray that you'd give them a compassion for souls, a compassion and a love for the lost to reach them before it's too late in Jesus' mighty name. Open doors for them, Lord, as they obey your voice and they step out by faith. Let doors swing wide open to them. Your word declares you hold the key of David in your hand, and when you open doors, no one can shut them. So, Lord, open those doors. Make a way where there was no way, and do it for them quickly, and let this be a year of transformation for your people. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you, and we give you praise. Amen.